0: everybody and welcome back to the lawcast this time we're going back to cover Okada's redemption it's Wrestle Kingdom 10 Kyushu 1 year later lightning strikes twice Okada gets another shot at Tanahashi what were the odds
1: yeah the the least surprising main event in history it's actually it's almost exactly like when like rock and john cena went the first time and then it's like gee i wonder if they'll do a rematch after the most successful match they've ever done
0: yeah it's funny and i don't think they were inspired by the rock and cena but this feud and like these couple matches in particular are it's very much a re like it's the same storyline as rock and cena yeah it's actually very funny like the the
1: veteran who is absolutely beloved and solidified as like the top guy. Anywhere he walks, everyone knows he's the king. And the guy trying to supplant him with that role, who's already a big star in his own right, but just isn't on the same level. And then, basically, the, the story has to end with Okada beating Tanahashi. Everyone and their mother knows that. This yeah. entire—this is like a whole farewell tour for Tanahashi, where it's like, you were the greatest big ma- top guy we've ever had, and now we're going to hand it to the kid, and eventually you're going to pat him on the back and let him go. And then everyone was so sure it was going to happen at nine, and then they fucking swerved us with the only good swerve in wrestling history, and Tanahashi retained.
0: Yeah. Everybody in the world knew that Okada was going to beat Tanahashi. He was going to finally vanquish his biggest rival once and for all, solidify himself as the new ace of New Japan. And then he went out and lost the match. Tanahashi beat him, and Okada was shattered in a way that I'm not sure I've ever seen a wrestler be before.
1: He didn't just beat him; he def- he destroyed him in the yeah. end. Like he broke him down, and he took away his best weapon, and he beat him clean and like Okada sobbing as he walks to the back because he's not the man that he thought he was. And Tanahashi get on the mic, getting on the mic to talk oh. one of the only time, only times he ever talked shit in his entire career, getting on the mic and being like the IWGP title is far above you Okada. Oh. It's just
0: brutal. Yeah. Okada so devastated. He didn't show up for the post-match press conference, which, my understanding, of, like, that's disgraceful in Japan to not do that.
1: Literally, they put a towel over his head and sneak him out the back door. Like, this is...
0: It's, and, like, so, it's so well done. It's they, so well done. They do this
1: storyline for, like, most of the first half of the rest of the year. He, like, dyes his hair and changes his outfit. He starts, like, carrying, like, one lonely balloon to the ring. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, he's it's, just in a funk, and, like, he loses all his big matches for the next couple months, right? Yeah. And it's like, he's just not—he
1: believes that he has lost his only opportunity. And finally, he comes to the realization that, no, I'm going to get another chance. Fuck this. Like, I am the man. I'm going to do it anyway. But he—but along the way, Tanahashi loses the title himself.
0: yeah. Yeah, so then, it's like his, I think it's his first defense. It's a uh, new beginning in Osaka in February. He loses the title to AJ. Yeah, Tanahashi always
1: w- wins his match at Wrestle Kingdom and then immediately loses the belt. It's...
0: It, it took so much It took so much out of him. He had nothing left.
1: Oh, yeah. To, like, draw all those people to the dome and then have the greatest match of all time he multiple got times. got the shit
0: kicked out of him by Okada in that match, even oh, though
1: he Jesus. beat him. Yes, absolutely.
0: Only man in history to kick out of the Rainmaker.
1: And then he find So he loses the belt... And then eventually Okada gets it. And then Okada's like... And then Tanahashi basically says this thing's like, I'm going to leave you alone. You got the belt. You go with the belt. But then the G1 rolls around.
0: Yeah, so Okada beats Styles for the belt on July 5th. And then... A month later, Tanahashi beats Nakamura in the finals of the G1 climax. So with that, he becomes the number one contender for Wrestle Kingdom. So if Okada can hold on to the belt and Tanahashi can hold on to the contract, they fight in the main event again. And of course, you know, both of them proceed to win their subsequent matches and we're set for the rematch of the millennium. I mean, literally, we're t- like six months out.
1: We know what the main event of Russell Kingdom is going to be. There's I mean, no we knew question. we knew
0: twelve months out. We knew yeah. a year out. Like, there's no way they weren't coming back to this unless Okada was leaving the company. Which, I mean, we're going to get to seemed that. Seemed impossible, but after this show, anything seemed
1: possible. But yeah, so they they built. It was such a direct build and it wasn't like Roxena were like, literally it's the only focus of anything these ties do across the entire year. They went on with their lives. They went on and did other things. It just, it was in the back of the mind of every fan all year long. Like we're coming back. It's coming back to that. That's the only match. Nothing else would even be acceptable.
0: And I love, I love Okada being the champion this time. Cause it's yeah. even somehow it's like even more degrading for him. He, yeah, yeah he's the champion. But he's not the man until he beats Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, if he's if he doesn't do that, that's always going to be the asterisk on his legacy. Like, yeah, he was the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, he was the man. He was the champion. But he fought Tanahashi twice at Wrestle Kingdom, and he lost both times.
1: And a big part of the lead-up to this match is a lot of people being like, yeah, I mean, Okada's the champion, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they're treating Tanahashi like the champion. Because he's still the top guy until Okada beats him. And it's yeah. driving Okada fucking crazy.
0: <laughs> and Okada has beaten Tanahashi before. Oh, yeah, a number times. of times. But he's never done it at Wrestle Kingdom. In and fact, that's what
1: really matters. He dominates Tanahashi everywhere but Wrestle Kingdom. But when the lights are on brightest and the biggest stars are the biggest stars, you can't touch Tanahashi. Yeah, Tanahashi's,
0: Tanahashi's Eli Manning and Okada's Tom Brady. There it is. <laughs> I mean, the humiliations Tanahashi has inflicted on Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom 7, he beat him in the main event to retain the IWGP title. The next year, they let the fans vote yeah. on who should have the main event. Okada... Uh, was he challenging Nakamura for the IC title? Uh, or, uh, Tanahashi was challenging for the IC title. I don't think it was against Nakamura. I don't know.
1: Tanahashi was challenging Nakamura, and Naito yeah. was challenging Okada. Okay.
0: That's it. They let the fans vote on what should be the main event, and, like, 80% of the people voted that Tanahashi's Intercontinental title match should be the main event.
1: Like, to the extent where, like, they were getting, like, quotes from people, and they were like, well, like, I like Okada, and I like Naito, but, like, Tanahashi's the main event. Yeah. And Okada was. The, it humiliated Okada. It literally destroyed Naito's career.
0: <laughs> and then, of course, the year before this, Okada stunned. Or Tanahashi stunned Okada and beat him in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. Kicked out of the Rainmaker, hit him with the high fly flow and beat him.
1: Like, there's really nothing like it. it it's. I guess I always think of it more in terms of, like, Rock and Austin when I think about, like, the great feuds of all time. And Okada's the Rock. Like, he's got everything, but he can't beat Austin.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously, I did not watch, you know, all the, you know, TV specials and whatever leading up to this. But I feel like they did this. But, like, Rock, I don't think ever, like, Rock, I don't think portrayed the right level of obsession with beating Austin at WrestleMania. because. He was really feuding with Hurricane in the build-up to that match. (laughs) That's true. But I'm curious, like, what was Okada like coming into this? Was he humbled? Was he obsessive? Like, what was his demeanor on the way into this match?
1: Okada's interviews have always been very interesting, because his character by nature is very detached, right? He's like, he's that superstar player who thinks that he's above it all and he doesn't really care. Like, he's just like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll beat his ass. I'm the greatest in the world, whatever. But he would do this great thing with the Tanahashi stuff where, like, he would try to be dismissive about it and he just couldn't. Like, he'd just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm the champ. So, like, if Tanahashi wants to come here and try to beat me, uh, You know, that's fine. Like, uh, I'll beat him just like I beat everybody else. And, you know, like, uh, it doesn't bother me, you know, that he beat me last year and that he kicked out of the Rainmaker. Like, it's it's not a problem. And he would just go on and on and on. (laughs) And you could just see it like this, this fragile crack in his psyche where Tanahashi has made his mark.
0: Yeah. So that's our main event. But the biggest news of the show is actually backstage. AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows all give their notice the morning of the show. It turns out they're all leaving for WWE. We've got ourselves arrayed. Unfortunately,
1: New Japan has suffered what all company that has actually become successful enough to draw Vince McMahon's attention has suffered, and that is, oh, let me go get myself some of that. Yeah.
0: First now, time WWE has ever rated a foreign company? Question mark? I guess uh, if we don't count, like, Stampede Wrestling.
1: But. Yeah, I mean, that's tricky because, I mean, they sort of rated Mexico, like, AAA for a minute. But, like, uh, not, uh, not really. Like, no. and they always wanted to do business with Japanese companies. Like, that was true all through the 90s and all through the 1000s. They would try to get these deals done. But the problem with doing business with Japanese companies is that Vince McMahon won't ever let another company be his equal. And the Japanese companies don't want to be raided. So this is the first time that they literally are like, oh, they have some assets that our fans want to see. Let's go take those motherfuckers. This is the most overt they had been in a talent raid since WCW, I think. Yeah it's cra- and it's crazy. And the thing that allows them to do this is New Japan wrestlers are under 1-year contracts. Like they had always done this for time immemorial. Where basically you would sign a 1-year contract and when it was up, you could either roll it over or leave. Which is kind of ridiculous when you look back on it now that they hadn't been rated more often. So after Wrestle Kingdom 9, where all of these guys suddenly became household names, well, Vince yeah. knew exactly when their contracts came up.
0: Yeah. The one year contract thing feels like such a fascinating blunder to me that all the and does every do everybody's contracts run out in January right after the dome show or was that just a coincidence with these guys
1: i think for the most part they do but like that's only because a lot of these people get brought in originally for dome shows you know what i mean so like their first contract will be like that and then if they keep using them they just keep rolling it over so like it makes sense but yeah you're right and that this comes from a place, like, in, like, the 90s with Japan, where, like, they'd just be like, oh, well, after a year, you might want to move on. You might want to go, Vader, you might want to go back to WCW, so we're only going to sign you for a year. They would just do that. Never dreaming that, like, a WWE would come and try to sign all of their talent. It's, fuck, I, I understand why they would do it, but they would just left themselves wide open.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean... We know AJ Styles is going to go on to be one of WWE's biggest stars. Nakamura, you know, has done fine for himself. He's clearly, you know, just kind of coasting in WWE, I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, and I don't think anybody was all that surprised when (laughs) AJ left or when Gallas or Anderson left. Because you knew... That WWE was going to want to get themselves a piece of Bullet Club, right? Bullet Club was like the thing that was so popular that it was becoming like a cultural moment. And they were going to try to get their hands on it.
0: And they already had had Finn Balor. So adding these guys to the mix. Although, turns out they did fuck all with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, they tried to sign Bullet Club. The shock was Nakamura. Yeah. Yeah didn't see that coming i don't think a star of this magnitude had ever had left the company that they were a part of is this bigger than kurt leaving wwe for tna
0: Mm, it's it's so hard to compare across countries
1: but also like nakamura didn't have some drug addiction he wasn't released like he's he now, just left. Japan was desperate to keep him, I'm sure. I mean, literally, he is their third biggest star. And at various points, he's been their second biggest star as well.
0: And they're about to blow off the feud between their two biggest stars, in which case it's going to be his time to step up. The entire,
1: the entire next year was going to be about Okada versus yeah. Nakamura, and they knew it. Yeah,
0: like Okada was probably going to hold the belt all year and Nakamura would win the G1 and challenge him at Wrestle Kingdom.
1: Like it was like set in fucking stone.
0: Yeah. There was nothing else, no other main event possible.
1: The entire Omega Ascension to the top of the card was only in the vacuum caused by Nakamura leaving, because they had nothing after that. That they had blown off everything else. Yeah. Like their their entire main event of the past year before this was all Okada, Tanahashi, Nakamura, AJ Styles. Two a half of it leaves. Like that's fucking crazy
0: uh and in a bad bit of luck nakamura is scheduled to defend the ic title against styles so they're both leaving if if they were in different matches you would just have both of them lose their matches but can't do that like can you imagine like
1: putting on a wrestlemania and then like the match right below the main event Well, it, ha-
0: it happened with goldberg and lesnar oh yeah there you go that's a good comparison yeah. As they It they both was show a up,
1: disaster they both show up like the night before and are like hey we're bouncing
0: Yeah. Not even the night before. At least that they knew a few weeks out. They literally tell they
1: tell the bookers the day of, all four of them.
0: Yeah. That sucks. Like AJ is literally gone. Like right, I think he works the next day and he's gone. He's got to go to the Rumble. Yeah. Like his. Yeah. Nakamura sticks around for at least a few weeks so he can. uh, Does he lose the title of the ring or does he vacate it? I believe
1: he loses the title in the ring, but I can't remember. He may have vacated it. Well, yeah, he yeah. was supposed to drop it, I think, to Omega, but they weren't. I don't think that ever actually happens. But he's—it's not like he's like a dickhead and doesn't want to drop the bell. They just—they kind of give him like a month-long farewell tour instead. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, a big, long, extended. Please come back when you're done taking Vince's money. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> which Please. we're still waiting on. <laughs> yeah, but With yeah, that, this—this this is actually the last time. After this, they sign everybody to long-term contracts on the whole roster. Because they get so freaked out. yeah. But the big thing is, WWE does not get who they actually wanted. Nakamura was not their target. They wanted Okada. They threw everything at Okada.
0: That had to be a Triple H thing.
1: They offered him, allegedly, they offered him like John Cena money to jump. That seems crazy to me. I mean, I don't know if that's true. That was just the rumor at the time. But they were like, you want a part-time schedule? You want John Cena money? Because he's 28, Steve.
0: How do you think he would have translated to America?
1: I think he would have been a god Yeah. if they had booked him right. I mean, they booked Nakamura like a Funkin' Punchline, so I can't honestly believe that they would
0: have. Yeah, I mean, that's my thing is like – and I think Nakamura – translates easier just because he's so unique and charismatic right now Okada like looks like a god when he comes out and that's the thing is that
1: like Does he speak
0: English some yeah
1: <laughs> not a lot no but like he well enough it's actually kind of hard to say because he's been like really close friends with a lot of Americans for a long time. And he did his run in TNA, so I don't think he speaks no English. It's the funniest thing
0: that TNA had Okada.
1: Oh, yeah. Literally, (laughs) so much of Okada's later decisions are specifically because of how TNA fucked him bad.
0: (laughs) He'll never go to WWE because of TNA. I think that was literally part of the decision. He was like, no. Last time I I went to America, it was bullshit.
1: But also, AEW partially comes to be because of Okada's experience in TNA. He makes the Bucks stars in New Japan because they were the only people who were nice to him there.
0: That's some really interesting history, and I keep waiting for him to show up in AEW.
1: I mean, it seems like the biggest slam dunk in the entire world. He's just got to be done being the top fucking guy for a second. Yeah, which...
0: Who knows when that'll happen? Coincidentally, we're recording this the evening of January 4th, so... The first night of Wrestle Kingdom was you know, the early hours of this morning, and, and Kush doesn't know what happened.
1: Unfortunately, this is the first time in eight years that I have not watched Wrestle Kingdom live, because I had to work at six o'clock in the morning, and even I'm not that fucking crazy. No. Uh, so I, 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 I'm trying to duck spoilers like arrows, because all of you, and I love you all so yeah. much, you have such great things in your heart, and you associate me with New Japan, and I appreciate that. But stop tweeting me for fucking 30 seconds about what happened. I can't it's, go on the internet. So
0: it's three nights, but when I look, the third night looked like it's not really the third night. The third night looked like the New Year's Dash to me.
1: Yeah, the third night is actually like Saturday. That's Noah versus New Japan. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so like it's fair. not three nights in a row. It's, yeah. it's really just the two.
0: Yeah. Tonight is the big finale.
1: Though funnily yeah. enough, it will be the big two nights, then New Year's Dash, and then uh the Saturday show. I think they do in four gigantic shows in one week, I think. That is a lot. Which is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Ostensibly, I think Okada's wrestling four times this week. (laughs) They better give him like a month off.
0: Yeah, that is more than they usually work, they're top guys. Oh god, yeah. Usually it's one
1: big match and then you get then you get Rocky Romero to take all your bumps for a month. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. So to get into the show, it's Monday, January 4th, 2016. We are, of course, at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan. There's 25,204 people in attendance. That's down quite a bit from the 36,000 they did the previous year. I just feel like they got bit kind of by the predictability here that... Every, I mean, last year, everybody knew Okada was going to be Tanahashi, but this year they really know it. And it's one of those things, too, where like,
1: it's the right choice for the story to run it back with Okada and Tanahashi and to do what they did at Wrestle Kingdom 9. But the fans were so excited to see Okada ascend to the top. That's why that show drew so well. And like when you do the swerve, you can't necessarily re-engineer that same excitement again. You know what I mean? This yeah. is still a really big show. People are still really excited about it, but it's not the same.
0: <laughs> um, unusually, this was actually on pay-per-view in Japan. I think this is one of the only times they've actually had a pay-per-view domestically. Yeah. Uh, could not find a buy right number, I don't think it was ever reported.
1: Yeah, we don't have any fucking idea what it actually was. Funnily enough, like if you recall from the year past, the <laughs> yeah. reason that so many people got to watch it in America is because Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Wrestling yeah. like put it on pay per view in America.
0: That was my introduction to New Japan.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of people's. Unfortunately, Jeff Jarrett
0: mmmag okay.
1: Carney. Yeah, so you remember how Global Force Wrestling turned out to not be a real thing, and it was just his bullshit way of getting, like, TNA back, and it turned out he lied to all the promotions about it? This
0: this was his version of the Count of Monte Cristo.
1: I just want you guys to understand that after that all comes to light, and we finally understand that, he has the temerity to call up New Japan and be like, hey guys, you're running it back? I'll put it on pay-per-view for you and keep half the profits? And they tell him to go fuck himself.
0: Uh, no Jim Ross on commentary this year. Although had he started doing the New Japan on Axis show yet? I I, I'm not
1: sure if that had officially started yet. Yeah, I do believe he had done another show during this year with Matt Striker. I'm not. I think he had done like maybe like Invasion Attack or something like that. I'm not 100 sure. Sounds right. Yeah.
0: Um, so on commentary we have Kevin Kelly, Matt Striker, and Yoshitatsu For some reason, this is. Well, first of all, I want to
1: give p- props to Kevin Kelly because we didn't realize at the time, but he has become the voice of New Japan for American fans. He's done an amazing job. I love him to death. I, I couldn't imagine it without him now. Um, Matt Stryker and Yoshitatsu are the two shittiest side commentators ever in wrestling.
0: <laughs> Yoshitatsu's English doesn't seem good enough for him to be doing English commentary.
1: Yeah, he's just hurt and on the shelf, and he's just they're just like... Oh, who knows how to speak Japanese and English? Yoshi knows how. He's sitting in the backstage in the catering eating our eating our food. Go put him on there. This is also when New Japan's very hands off with the like English announcing. Like in the previous year they hadn't even bothered to smarten JR up, like it wasn't even part of their thought. Like whatever, who cares about the English? They haven't really gotten to the part where they're like producing it to any extent yet. So here, too, it's just like, yeah, just give him Yoshi. Who gives a shit? Yoshitatsu does not speak great English, and no. he is a very bad color commentator on top of that.
0: Yes. Um, on the pre-show, Jado won the New Japan Rumble in about 28 minutes. Uh, did,
1: you, did you actually watch the New Japan Rumble?
0: I did not this show was really long i was not adding this to like the thing is when you queue it up on new japan world you see that the broadcast is six hours and 45 minutes long because yeah, they like they include like 30 minutes of dead air on the front end and i'm like the um then like all the pre-show packages and like the post uh post show press conference so like you get in there and i'm like i got it. i gotta get moving or i'm never gonna finish this thing the funniest part
1: is, like, you're always going to be wind up watching the main event, and you're like, man, how the fuck long does this match yeah. go? And then it ends, like, 30 minutes before the end, like, oh, right, the press conferences. That's right.
0: Yeah, so uh, some of the notable surprise appearances in this one. Jushin Liger kicked it off at number one. Yep. Uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Did he invent the Fujiwara armbar He sure did. Uh, cheeseburger. Cheeseburger! Tiger Mask? I don't know who's playing Tiger Mask here. Oh, I believe this was the original
1: Tiger Mask. Sayama. That's cool as shit. Uh no. Sorry,
0: this no. is Tiger Mask 4. This is the crappy one. Yuji Nagata, who I always appreciate seeing. Hell yeah. Uh Hiroshi Tenzon. Yep. Uh, in the biggest surprise of the night, King Haku.
1: They got yes. Haku! Haku.
0: Who somehow didn't win the thing. That's a
1: fucking joke. As usual, Ming refuses to win a match that he absolutely yeah. should win.
0: And the great Kabuki, who was a million years old, did he get disqualified for missed here?
1: Yes, he did.
0: Yeah. Damn yeah, right. the new Japan Breaking Rumble. the rules of professional wrestling. The, new, the, the rules of the New Japan Rumble are
1: ridiculous. It's like... You can be eliminated for fucking anything. There was one year where they just like tied everybody to the ropes after they were eliminated. So everyone was just kind of like there grabbing at the guys still in the match. It's a fucking weird thing. It's just fun. Like this is literally just a, hey, let's roll these 50 year olds out and show everyone that they're still in shape.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I've said. I, it would be so great if they could do this at WrestleMania. Like, I know they do the Battle Royals, but the fun of staggering the entrances to get the le- and having legends come out is so great. Yeah, you can just do, like, f- 15
1: actual wrestlers and then 15 whoever's still, like, in working shape yeah. come get a paycheck. <laughs>
0: one minute intervals so it just keeps moving it's it's a fun like relaxed match people are just watching it while they're getting into their seats it's the
1: perfect thing for a pre-show it really is like it's it's really all you want and then most of these guys just like do commentary on the japanese broadcast throughout it liger does it so many times that this just became like his official spot and he eventually becomes a full-time commentator afterwards (laughs)
0: love that he does commentary in his Jushin Liger
1: outfit. Of course, you're never going to see his fucking face. Even after he retired, he still wears the mask.
0: Uh, the opening package just kind of runs through the matches that we're going to see tonight. Yep. Nothing too special here. And it's it worth in,
1: mentioning, too. It. it was in
0: Japanese, so I didn't understand it. That's one of my favorite things about their packages
1: It's like you don't need to really understand yeah. the Japanese to know what's going on. But back in the day when we had no English commentary, it was literally just like, well, all right, here's all the clues I'm going to get. Yeah. Uh, that guy doesn't like that guy. OK.
0: Yeah, you just you watch it and you kind of invent your own story
1: to a certain extent. Yeah, there were multiple times like after I became like more invested and like read like periodicals about what had actually happened that I was like, oh, my complete understanding of this character was wrong as shit. I just made it all up in my head. Fuck. Um,
0: and then we get the opening match. Uh, G- Deep GP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles on the line. We've got Red Dragon defending against the Young Bucks, uh, Matt Seidel in Ricochet, and um, the team of Rapongi Vice, who is uh, Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero. This now is quite a collection of talent.
1: It's very funny that seven out of eight of these people are in AEW right now.
0: And Ricochet, let my man go, WWE. Please
1: let him go to AEW. Please set him free. Uh, poor guy. Yeah, it is, but it's very funny that literally the Bucks and Red Dragon are about to start feuding right now, five years yeah. later. Um, this, they had a tradition where they would always make the first match of Wrestle Kingdom, like some kind of clusterfuck junior match just to get people up out of their seats. This is maybe the clusterfuckiest of all of the clusterfuck matches they ever put on. This was pretty clusterfucky.
0: Uh, The presence of of Cody Hall at ringside really contributed to it. He is so big. So, so big. Oh, he's like
1: nine feet taller than everyone else in this match. Has
0: anything ever become of him? Unfortunately, he turns
1: out to, and I say this with the greatest of love, a gigantic scumbag who everyone in the wrestling industry hates, Uh including his own father. So, no. (laughs) Uh I mean, literally, Scott called in a personal favor to get him into the dojo. And they had high hopes for him. And, like, he was was kind of developed
0: He's Scott Hall's son.
1: And he looks like Scott. He, I mean, he doesn't look like Scott Hall per he's se. Not he's not
0: like the classically handsome, but yeah, he's like six foot nine
1: and sculpted. When he goes and does, goes for like the outsider's edge in this thing, like, oh, my, I was like, oh my God, he, he's just like his dad. This kicks ass. But yeah, unfortunately, he just kind of flames out. Like, he literally can't get signed anywhere in the wrestling industry right now, despite being Scott Hall's son and a giant Jack dude.
0: Uh, First big move is Trent doing a dive out to the floor. He tries to go to the top rope, but Matt Jackson trips him. Uh, Trent gets worked over for a while until he manages to make the tag to Ricochet. They do the spot where everyone does their dives out to the floor. Ricochet goes to dive, but Cody Hall trips him and then hits a razor's edge out on the floor. Like oh over the top rope, down onto the floor, down onto all the other guys in the match. The referee is, I don't know, tripped on his shoelace or something. Yeah. Cody Hall normally people in matches like this will be like, Yeah, I'll
1: I'll get a little bit of interference yeah. from the from the books and then they hit won't somebody notice.
0: or something might hit a punch or something behind the referee's back. He does like multiple like complicated moves directly in front yes. of the referee. As you put it, the reason the Bullet Club got so much heat was because Japanese fans had never seen Memphis Heel bullshit before. That's exactly what it is. It's they, like, they are so angry with this bullshit because it's fake wrestling. And the funniest part is that like in the like beginning,
1: in these early days, it works so well because they're not doing a ton of it. These days, in order to get the same reaction, they yeah. have, like, the House of Torture, like, setting guys on fire in front of the referee. And, like, the fans are like, boo, this blows. But, but back yeah. then, it's like, what? You you throw him into the railing?
0: We don't fucking do that. Fuck you. Yeah, they used to get wicked heat when Kenny Omega would pull out the cold spray.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Uh, Red Dragon looked like they had the match one, but Hall breaks up the pin Vishen and O'Reilly double team him and knock him out. And then they do a spot where everyone in the match combines for a big suplex. I loved how Romero had to like run around in circles to find the right spot.
1: My Rocky Romero during this period is one of
0: my favorite wrestlers of all time. Cause he doesn't really
1: belong like athletically or anything like that, but he's just so beloved because he's always been there. He was in this division when this division was garbage and so people just love him because he's been around for so long and he's been doing that Terry Funk forever clothesline for so long that, yeah, he's just absolutely beloved.
0: Uh, Beretta and Ricochet do stereo shooting star presses, but Matt Jackson tags himself in. He almost gets the pin, but Romero kicks out. And then the Bucks hit more bang for your buck and they get the pin. Um win the tag titles. That was a really fun opener. I always love these four-way tag matches.
1: Absolutely. Like, again, there's a lot going on here. And I felt a little bad for Red Dragon because in these, like, flippy spot fests, they don't really stand out as much because that's not really what they do. And that's kind of a shame because they had actually gotten over really strong in the year before this. Kyle O'Reilly especially probably should never have left New Japan because at one point he gets a match with Shibata that, like, literally the fans lost their shit for he like he could have actually had a future with this company
0: yeah instead we got that endless undisputed era run in nxt yeah
1: everybody loved that
0: (laughs) uh next up we've got a six-man tag match for the never open weight six-man championship why the hell are we adding six-man tag belts You know, it almost kind of makes sense
1: because New Japan is built so strongly around stables. Like, everybody's in a stable. So if you're going to do that, you kind of almost might as well have, like, a stable championship. You know what I mean? For this to be the first match in it, though, is very, very strange. Because you have the bullet. Basically, it's just an excuse to, like, put another belt on Bullet Club. They don't actually wind up doing that. Chaos is just a loose association of like a hundred dudes, it's yes. ranging across all promotions.
0: So from the Bullet Club, we've got Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, and Yujiro Takahashi, and then from Chaos, it's the Briscoe brothers and Toru Yano. The Briscoe brothers. The Briscoe brothers. So fam- Why is New Japan co-promoting
1: with Ring of Honor? So famously at Wrestle Kingdom Five. They built the whole thing around TNA, and it's an absolute disaster, and the fans don't care, and they don't have any stars the fans give a shit about, and Jeff Hardy shows up high to his match. (laughs) And here, they kind of do the same thing with Ring of Honor. They don't go as far, but it's actually more embarrassing. Because at least like Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle, they're they're like real stars. stars. Every Ring of Honor dude on this show Uh. looks like a fucking jabroni. The Briscoes come out here, and they look like embarrassing jokes. Like, yeah, in their fucking jean shorts and T-shirts. And, like, their shit's all shredded up, and they look like they just rolled out of a mechanics. Like, look, I understand having, like, a unique look and being, like, a hardcore wrestler. Not everyone's going to be wearing, like, a robe for the prestige at Wrestle Kingdom. I get that. Like, look at Toru He's a comedy character. Like, I totally understand but the Briscoe brothers specifically, to have them here representing Ring of Honor, they look like assholes.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, Bullet Club jump chaos before the bell, which will be a running theme of their matches tonight. Yep. Fale looks like he's 350 pounds here. He, he is so big, is. and he is dominant. Until he misses a corner charge, Mark Briscoe takes the hot tag, but... Takahashi turns the tide with a Fisherman's Buster. Jay Briscoe tags in, hits a Death Valley Driver. A second DVD almost gets the pin on Tonga. Tonga hits an Alabama Slam. Uh, Jay Briscoe gets Tonga up on his shoulders. Mark comes in with the flying clothesline for the Doomsday Device. And that gets the pin. I was shocked Bullet Club didn't win here.
1: Everyone on Earth was shocked when Bullet Club didn't win here. They put... The f- forever you have to acknowledge that the first people ever to hold this belt that they still do today and has actually gotten a little bit prestigious were JM Mark Briscoe and Toru Yano. <laughs> That's not a great start,
0: it's not. And this was not a great match, no.
1: This sucked like this. I, I, I don't mind them like doing this, but like this really probably should have been a Los Angovernables versus Bullet Club match. And we'll kind of get to why a little bit later, too. But like, yeah, this was this was rough.
0: Um, Next up, we've got Jay Lethal defending the Ring of Honor title against Michael Elgin. Uh, Uh, These sure are two professional wrestlers who exist. Now, let me say this,
1: because I'm going to say something nice about Michael Elgin, then I'm going to say something mean about Michael Elgin. So the nice thing is he comes over. Ring of Honor sends him over to be part of the G1 Climax. Earlier in this year, because basically New Japan said, hey, pick one of your guys. We'll open a spot for him and he can like get over as part of our deal. And he does a great job. Yeah. He I tears the house down in some of the matches. He gets very, very over. I mean, it's not hard for big, huge dudes to get over in New Japan, but like it works like it works like a charm. He gets super over. Then he does this thing where he goes back to Ring of Honor. And he's like, hey, I'd like to wrestle more dates in New Japan because like I'm super over there and they pay better. Scott and Ring of, Honor, Ring of Honor kind of gets real butthurt about that. <laughs> now, the main thing I'm going to say is that Michael Elgin's a rapist, and I hope that he gets blackballed from the industry forever. But that's not the point. The point here was that like this, they also do this funny thing where New Japan straight up announces that this is going to be the match for Wrestle Kingdom. Unfortunately, final battle in Ring of Honor was like two weeks before this, and they hadn't yet announced that Jay Lethal was going to win. So New Japan just completely gives away the finish to their main event. Yeah, that is hilarious. It is pretty. New Japan does not give a shit about this partnership. They know they're the bigger Nor should they. No. They basically use Ring of Honor as like a fancy travel agent the entire time they're doing this.
0: Uh, Early in the match, Lethal hits a suicide dive where he just smashes his shin on the guardrail. Yeah. Yeah. Looked really bad. Jay so when he comes back and does another suicide dive. He's really clearly like
1: so amped up trying to like make his name at Wrestle Kingdom. But it's oof, yeah, he's, he's kind of out of control.
0: Elgin comes back with a huge press power slam. This looked yeah. great. Yeah. He could really do some cool stuff. Uh, Lethal turns the tide. He gets the macho man flying elbow. Goes for the Lethal Injection, but Elgin catches him with a rolling German Suplex. Um, Elgin takes him to the top, hits a Super Falcon Arrow, then a Buckle Powerbomb, but he gets distracted by Lethal's manager, Truth Martini. Yeah. Lethal hits Elgin with Martini's Book of Truth, and then he hits the Lethal Injection to get the pin. This was actually a little better than I was expecting. Crowd was actually pretty into this. It's not a horrible match. And, like, the crowd
1: was surprisingly okay with it. But if you just look at it, like, this is the match that you're putting on to represent Ring of Honor? Like, there's not nothing against Jay Lethal. But, like, he's not the guy. You know what I mean? And they had the opportunity to just put the belt on AJ and have it be AJ versus Elgin. And that would have been a much better idea. But they said no. They went with Jay. And this was fine. But it in no way felt like – they didn't even put it on the second half of the show where the important matches are, if that tells you anything about how New Japan felt about this.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought we got started with the good stuff earlier than usual, because the next match is Kenny Omega defending the junior heavyweight title against Kushida.
1: Yeah, I think it's just because like the last six the matches are card. all about the same, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Kushida has a back to the future themed entrance where his manager Taguchi is dressed as Doc Brown because he's trying to turn the clock back to when he was the champion. Yes.
1: So he, I believe it was the, not the previous year, the previous year Omega beats Taguchi for the championship, but like Kushida had had it and then Omega beat him by cheating. And then Kushida had gotten embroiled into a bunch of tag team shit and had a bunch of failure. He's trying to set the clock back to when he was the ace of the junior division. Yeah. Also, he's just obsessed with Back to the Future. That's his whole thing.
0: Yeah. So Omega won the title the year before at Wrestle Kingdom. He lost it to Kushida Dominion, and then he won it back um, in September in Okayama. Um Omega has a badass Terminator-themed entrance. I this will go, was fucking cool.
1: I will go on record as saying that I think that Kenny Omega's New Japan theme song, Devil Sky, is probably a top three theme song in wrestling history. <laughs> and like <sighs> what he would do at Wrestle Kingdom every year was so fucking sick every single time.
0: Who was he's he, just, Cobra, Cobra the year before?
1: Yeah, he's just a
0: man who understands
1: theatrics. The next year, I think he, like, wears a bunch of Terminator shit, but it doesn't look super lame like when Brian Cage does it.
0: Or the last, did
1: it. The last year, he knew it was his last year, so he did this, like, five-minute-long, like, Undertale video <laughs> that nobody understood but him, but he didn't give a shit.
0: Omega's got the Young Bucks backing him up. Um, once again, Bullet Club attack before the bell, and they knock out Taguchi.
1: How interesting is it seeing Omega here before he puts all the muscle
0: on? It's, yeah, it's weird for him to be a junior, but you can see he's much smaller than he would be you know, the year after this. Yeah, he's got those skinny little legs.
1: <laughs> he gets on the Tanahashi diet right after this.
0: Um, Kushida throws Omega out to the floor. Omega gets the cold spray and sprays Kushida with it. What a great heel move. God,
1: the fans are so mad about the cold spray.
0: Then as Kushida jumps off the apron, Nick Jackson hits him with a trash can. And then Omega does the more bang for your buck with a trash can. Yep. Uh, Omega follows up with his somersault plancha out to the floor They go back to the ring. Kushida hits a Pele kick and then a somersault senton down to the floor. Kushida drags Omega up to the top rope, hits a single-arm DDT. He goes for the corkscrew moonsault, but Omega rolls out of the way. Omega hits a German suplex, but Kushida rolls it into a Kimara. Taguchi has finally recovered after, like, 10 minutes and fights off the young bucks. Which looks... It looks like somebody's deranged grandpa has hopped the guardrail. <laughs> Once again, he's dressed as Doc Brown from Back to the Future. And not particularly convincingly. No. Yeah. Omega tries for the one-winged an- angel, but Kushida slips out. Omega hits the V-trigger. Then he manages to lift Kushida with one arm for a sit-down power powerbomb. That one was
1: super impressive. That's one of the coolest things I've ever yeah. seen. Like, he doesn't just, like, lift him up with the one arm. He does the whole thing with one arm. Tucks him in, in, like, under his legs, picks him up with one, slams him down with one, and it's (laughs) picture perfect. Who can
0: do that? Omega goes for the one-winged angel again. Kushida rolls through into a pinning combination and gets the one, two, three. Kushida has turned back the clock. He is once again the ace of the juniors. I absolutely love this match. Great match. It's yeah. amazing how much... They, they
1: only got 12 minutes. Yeah. This might be the best 12-minute match of all time. Like, it's they packed so... Amazing. Like, they, so much, like, working the limb and stuff into 12 minutes. They could have... If they had gotten 20, they could have done amazing things with it.
0: And since it was Back to the Future themed, I gotta say, where Kenny Omega was going, they don't need roads. My God. Literally, the next yeah. night
1: because they're like oh shit well AJ's the leader of bullet club and the backup leader is Carl Anderson who the fuck are we going to put in charge of bullet club and so they just finally decide well Kenny? i guess i guess it's Kenny. he's the only singles
0: guy in bullet club yeah everyone else is a tag yeah he will have one of the great meteoric rises of all time over the course of next year
1: it is unbelievable how much like he gets the opportunity of a lifetime, and he lights the world on fire with it.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah, I mean, just one year from now, he's going to be main event in the Dome. Like, It's an incredible rise. Absolutely. Next up, for the IWGP Tag Titles, we've got Dak Gallows and Carl Anderson against GHB, which is the team of uh, Togi Makabe and Tomoyaki Hanma. Hanma, Mr. Headbutt.
1: Yes, Hanma, Mr. Never Wins a Match Ever, so they make a big deal every time (laughs) he does.
0: They won the the tag titles the previous year at Wrestle Kingdom, didn't they?
1: Yes, but they always treat it like, oh, he's
0: never won a match in his whole career.
1: They won the tag league. What the fuck are you talking about?
0: Uh, Bullet Club, jump them before the bell and then dominate. Uh, Hot tag to Hanma. He gets a huge pop for the headbutt. Um, It is
1: like the most over move in all of New Japan. (laughs)
0: gallows and anderson cut him off with a back suplex and the magic killer gallows with a tko but he only gets two Uh, hanma goes to the top gallows cuts him off he sets up for something but hanma slips Uh, they improvise gallows hits a power bomb hot tag to makabe anderson cuts him off with a kick and a spine buster makabe fires up throws hanma into gallows Doomsday device on Anderson, then a slam and a diving headbutt and Makabe with a knee drop from the top rope to get the pin. This was pretty much a standard, like, Good Brothers tag match.
1: Yeah, there is zero, 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 zero chance that they had intended for Makabe and Hanma to win this match before they found out about Gallows and Anderson. There's just no way. Like, they're they're not that compelling a tag team, really. And literally, they they only hold it on to it until April because they get it. They literally like put it back on Bullet Club as soon as physically possible.
0: Yeah. Um, Next up, we've got Hikori Goto versus Tetsuya Naito. Uh, What is the story here?
1: All right. Well, first of all, I just want to give a shout out to Goto, who is apparently Arn Anderson's favorite wrestler of the modern era. That is so awesome. And it's very funny because Goat is actually incredibly boring. So, of course, that's who Arne Anderson would like. But also, OK, so Naito has been feuding with Shibata for like the last six months because Naito's whole deal now is that he's an asshole. He went away to Mexico Because after the humiliation of being voted out of the main event, even though he won the G1 Climax that year because the fans just didn't like him, they send him away to Mexico to, like, find an actual personality and basically just to spare him the humiliation of being laughed out of arenas by the fans. This is some Rocky Mayavia shit. Yeah. So they send him away. And while he's there... He interacts with a group in Mexico called Los Ingobernables, which was started by Rush. In CMLL, they were doing this great thing where they had a a stable of guys who were just like, we'll do whatever the fuck we want, tranquilo. Maybe you've heard of another one who was part of the group. His name's Andrade. Yeah. Uh, And so they're all doing that, and they include Naito in that group. So when he comes back, he brings that back with him. And now they're Los Ingobernables de Japan, the Japan installment of that. And so he brings and this character is what finally gets him over this like disaffected, chilled out, but super spiteful and dickheaded guy. The fans fall in love with how much of an asshole he is. And it felt so much more true to who he actually was as a person, too. So he's been feuding with Shibata because Shibata takes himself so seriously. So Naito is just trolling him and then being like, hey, tranquilo, bro. But at the very last second, and to this day, I don't think anyone fully understands why, they just change it so that he's not facing Shibata here at Wrestle Kingdom. He's facing Shibata's tag team partner, Goto. So there's no heat on this match whatsoever. It's very, very weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Did they just decide they had to do Ishii and Shibata here? I, I mean, I... The theme for this show kind of
1: becomes dream matches. You know what I mean? Like, the last three matches are all kind of what you'd call dream matches. So I guess maybe... I'm not... I mean, that is, like, a really cool match. Don't get me wrong. But it's bizarre that they would spend so long building up Shibata Naito, and then they just... It's not like they immediately go back to it at the next show. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's very, very weird. And I know is not really doing anything on this show... And maybe they're like Goto Ishi for the fiftieth times, not that interesting. Man, it's just fucking weird. And Shibata Naito's a much, much, much bigger match than this.
0: Naito is accompanied by Bushi and Evil, his stable, his stable mates. Um, Goto is knocked to the floor. Evil puts a chair around his neck and smashes him with another chair. That was brutal.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Goto recovers and hits a Saito suplex. Naito hits a super Frankensteiner. Goto hits a big lariat. He sets up for a suplex, but Evil and Bushi jump him. Bushi accidentally hits Evil with Mist, and then Goto hits an Goroshi on Bushi. And then a suplex into an Iranagi gets the win for Goto. I don't know. It was okay.
1: Yeah. Like I said, there's no heat on it. And it's, it's super weird for Naito to take the loss here. It really is. Yeah. Especially when you consider that, like, like... What an awesome character he has. Oh, my God, yes. And the fans are so into it. And, like, they've just added Evil. Like, Evil... Is just, they haven't even added, like, the rest of the group yet. Like, Sonata oh. comes later and Shingo Takagi comes later. they become... By far the most popular group in New Japan. Like, Bullet Club is the most popular with American fans, but in, for Japanese fans, it's all about Los Gobernables. Like, there's nobody even close. And so, Naito is actually going to leverage that into another gigantic run on top in a couple years. But here, it's just, it feels weird that he's shoved so far down the card. I, I'm, I'll
0: never understand it. Uh, next up, for the Never Openweight Championship, we've got Tomahiro Ishii defending against Katsori Shibata. Um, so I find this Never Championship so fascinating because Never was supposed to be a developmental promotion. Correct. And it doesn't seem like it really launched. And then no. when this belt, which in theory you would think would be to like showcase young guys, instead seems to have become... Just like the hard ass title, like it was. It's like the, it seems like it's the equivalent of the hardcore title, but they don't really do street fights in New Japan, so it's just dudes who punch each other really
1: hard. This becomes like the headbutt world championship, yeah. and like it, it is so funny. Like you said, that they were originally going to have never events, and then they're like, no, let's just mm. not do that, and they this just becomes. Yeah. This becomes the official belt of Tomohiro Ishii because it's just sort of like he'll never be world champion, but he deserves something for being such a cool bastard. And it's just literally like, who wants to fight Tomohiro Ishii? And they no just bring one. out they just bring out some double hard motherfucker, oh, sh- and he'd be like, yeah, I'd like to take a headbutt. It's like every time this this title would show up on a card, I would just start cringing in my chair because I was like, oh uh. no. These matches are hard to watch. And when um, they announced Shibata, it was
0: like, oh, someone's going to die. Yeah. They I mean, might die. Only about a year after this, Shibata would suffer that horrible injury when he hit that headbutt so hard his nose bled. And it turned out his brain was bleeding. He had a subdural hematoma. And that kept him out of the ring until literally tonight. When he made back to the ring. Was exactly. Early this morning, I think he wrestled.
1: And, I mean, it's not, like, a, a full match. Like, it's still kind of, like, with restrictions and stuff. But we never thought that he would wrestle again. There no, was some... again, his brain blood. He could have died. Yeah.
0: Like, that's what happens when you do shoot headbutts. Uh, not worked. Shoot. I I think headbutts generally are a bad idea, and the ones he do did, did are an absolutely terrible idea. And it's
1: fascinating the idea that, like, it was in a match against Okada. Like, Okada was taking those shoot headbutts where he literally, Ugh. Shibata's brain started to bleed. Can you yeah. imagine? Like, yeah, For the guy getting hit with that. Can you imagine John Cena wrestling Brock Lesnar and Brock being like, all right, I'm going to hit you with some shoot suplexes. Now. No, stop it.
0: That's the, that's the moneymaker right there. It's work, brother. We got their money. Jesus. Oh, man, does Ishii look like a hard ass coming to the ring? Even now, like, these days he's old as
1: shit and he's broken down a little bit. But when he showed up on Dynamite and started, like, throwing motherfuckers around, I don't know that there's ever been a wrestler who, like, is so identified by that, like, double hard iron bastard (laughs) motherfucker. He just seems like you could, like, bend iron around his face.
0: They open with an exchange of strikes, and then they take turns letting the other guy kick them in the back to see who can kick harder. It's hard. Like, every time I see somebody do a spot like this, it reminds me of the
1: time that Anderson Silva broke his shin on a guy in a UFC fight. Oh, that was horrible. And I, I, like, can't get that image out of my head. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Guy checked his kick,
1: and his shin just shattered. It is, to this day, like, the most hard-to-watch thing I've ever seen in fight sports. Disgusting. Yeah.
0: Shibata with some furious strikes in the corner and then a big boot to the face. Shibata with a series of forearms that Ishii shrugs off, and then Ishii just levels Shibata with one forearm shot. Oh, man. (laughs) Shibata with a triangle choke that he rolls into an arm bar. Ishii manages to get to the ropes. They exchange lariats shibata counters with a big boot and a german suplex and ishii hits his own german suplex they both collapse from exhaustion ishii with a powerbomb but he can only get two ishii tries for a superplex shibata locks his arm for a kimura ishii fights out ishii with a clothesline shibata kicks out at one Shibata with a, or a sliding lariat gets two for Ishii. Then Shibata comes back with a Pele kick. Ishii tries for a kick, but Shibata catches his leg and drops him with a clothesline. These guys are hitting each other real hard. This doesn't look like a work to me.
1: Yeah, you're naming a lot of things that sound simple in most other matches, oh. like clothesline and kick. And I just want you but guys to know. they're hitting each other for real. Yeah, these are like bombs being dropped. Like. Yeah. Ishii has never taken a shot that didn't look like it should have ended the match.
0: Like, this is a work in the sense that they're cooperating, but they don't seem to be pulling their punches much at all. I kind of call this
1: like the Antonio Inoki Memorial match, and they do this on like every Wrestle Kingdom, where there's like one match where it's like, all right, let's give it up for the big dog and have two guys murder each other in the ring. This is what Inoki envisioned. When he yeah. brought in all those MMA guys,
0: Shibata with a sleeper hold. Ishii fights out. Shibata with headbutts, a drop kick, a lariat. Or Ishii hit the lariat. Shibata kicks out at one. Another lariat gets two. Shibata recovers, hits a devastating PK penalty kick where he just winds up and kicks the guy as hard as he can. And gets the pin, wins the title. That's the biggest win of his career to date.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, they had plans to make him like a more of a viable main eventer right around the time yeah. that he broke his brain. So uh, that that's another one of those. New Japan kind of becomes cursed a little bit over the years to come. Like every time they try to build somebody up, it seems like something horrible goes wrong or they leave the company. Even Shibata, who they were like, well, he's not going to leave. Well, then he's gone forever. (laughs) But, man, this is one of those matches that I put on and I go make some some popcorn because I'm going to feel bad about myself if I watch the whole thing. It's brutality.
0: Next up for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, we've got Shinsuke Nakamura defending against AJ Styles. A very familiar match for WWE fans. What? What? Two years after this, they're going to be fighting for the WWE title at WrestleMania. Yep. And that's the funny thing is that this
1: match. Shitty-ass match. This match is matches always looked at as like, oh, man, this match was so fucking rad. This is the match they could have at WWE. And then nope. literally the match they do have is the the festival Sucked. of nutshots.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. I did love Nakamura's theme with the Japanese rap in.
1: Oh, yeah, that was good stuff.
0: AJ with a sick-looking mask he's wearing as he comes out.
1: Yeah, he does look cool. God, Bullet Club AJ is just so much better than everything else he's ever done.
0: The first-ever singles meeting between these two. Um, Early in the match, AJ appears to tweak his back when Nakamura throws him off the second rope. But once Nakamura turns his back, AJ hits him from behind. What an asshole. AJ with a Muda lock variation where he crosses Nakamura's legs. Uh, Nakamura comes back with a backbreaker that hurts AJ's back for real. And then he drives him into the railing out on the floor. Uh, Back in the ring, Nakamura hits a big knee to AJ's back. AJ gets control of the match back, but his back gives out when he tries to suplex Nakamura. Until he manages to hit a snap suplex into the corner, which he's slow to get up from. Yep. Uh, Nakamura with a lung blower and that uh, like back suplex he would do where he would flip the guy over Nakamura charges, but AJ rolls him into the calf killer. Gotta love the calf killer. Calf killer is
1: one of the coolest finishers ever that never actually wins a match.
0: No, I don't know. I can't ever remember him actually beating somebody with us. It's a shame because it's very, very awesome. Nakamura manages to roll it into an arm bar. AJ gets the ropes for the break AJ with a torture rack into a slam. Nakamura hits the Bumae off the second rope out of nowhere. Out of nowhere.
1: That was awesome.
0: Yeah. It's too hurt to make the pin. AJ recovers and hits a blue thunder bomb. AJ then hits the Pele kick. Nakamura follows up with the Bumae. He's again unable to make the cover. AJ hits his own Bumae. He goes up. Hits the 450 splash, but Nakamura kicks out at two. Nakamura catches AJ in a cross arm breaker. Traps the leg to stop him from getting to the ropes. Nakamura transitions into a triangle choke. AJ reverses into the Styles Clash. Nakamura just barely kicks out at two. What a great sequence.
1: Oh my God. Just like on the edge of your seat with that.
0: They're not even done yet. No, it doesn't even like it should have been the finish. Like we not even it's close. Like another five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> AJ hits the bloody Sunday DDT. He sets up for the styles clash, but Nakamura blocks it. AJ tries for the super styles clash, but Nakamura blocks that too. Nakamura hits uh, basically an AA off the top rope.
1: Yeah, that was weird.
0: Yeah. He was just feeling it. AJ kicks out. Nakamura hits a boom IA to the back of AJ's head and another boom IA to finish him off. What an awesome match.
1: Everything about this rules. The fact that they went out and had a match this awesome, knowing that
0: they're both leaving... Like they didn't have, they could have mailed it in here. The amount of respect they have for the promotion and the fans—that re- there's no way they were going to dog it at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah,
1: let's remember that the thing that we compared this to was Goldberg and Lesnar, and what we got from that shithead.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, uncharacteristically, AJ actually shows respect for Nakamura after the match, which is Wait. the beginning of the end of him being the leader of Bullet Club. Yeah,
1: that's all. That's all that Bullet Club needs to murder him in the ring the next night. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so he's going to get turned on the next night, and Omega is going to take over the Bullet Club from him, just as he took over the Bullet Club from Prince David.
1: There's always a progression.
0: Yeah, it's like the Sith.
1: Though not really after Omega. that it It kind of got messy after that.
0: <laughs> All right, it's main event time. Oof. It's the match the world has come to see. Kazuchiko Okada defends the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's all on the line here. Um, Okada fights for his legacy. If he loses, it's hard to imagine he could go on. Like I feel like his career would be over. There were some people
1: who literally were like, "Well, maybe WWE did sign yeah. him." Yeah. Because he has to leave the promotion if he loses here. Oh, like no question. I mean, that's just maybe that's some long-term thinking. They're like, yeah, you go ahead and go to WWE. We'll have you lose here, and then you can come back, right? There he was some ultra
0: heel if he came back years later. Absolutely. Yeah, it seems impossible that Okada could lose, but what if he does?
1: But what if what, he
0: does? What becomes of Okada then? Oh man. Meanwhile, yeah, Tanahashi is just playing with house money here. Like he more than solidified his legacy at Wrestle Kingdom the previous year when he beat Okada again. And part of the lead in for this for him was he, it was almost
1: like a wistful thing for him where he's just like, yeah, you know, I don't need to beat him now. I want to, but I don't need
0: to. Like, imagine if the Bucks and the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl again. Like, what does Tom Brady have left to prove?
1: Yeah. If he loses by 50 to Patrick Mahomes, whatever. Whatever.
0: He beat him the year before
1: and he's the greatest of all time. (laughs) Exactly. And that's basically what this is. Like, he wants to win because he loves beating Okada. Nothing has ever made Tanahashi as happy as rubbing Okada's face in it.
0: But he doesn't have to win. (laughs) No. No, he's set. Um, He comes out first with his number one contender briefcase. Looks calm and bubbly. Oh, yeah. Calm as could be.
1: When you've main evented six of these motherfuckers in a row, it's just another day at the office. Yeah.
0: Okada comes out looking very serious, as he always does, and he looks amazing in his robe. This is. I think they kind of went out
1: of their way. I don't know if this is something that they intentionally planned or not. But, like, Tanahashi just kind of looks normal, yeah. and Okada comes out looking special. And I wonder if that's part of the passing of the torch, you know?
0: And, and, and it's the match of Okada's life, whereas, yeah. you know, Tanahashi would be great to win, but it doesn't really matter for him at this point. Agreed. Um, the crowd is absolutely buzzing at the start of this match, which... Oh yeah. Very, one, you consider Japanese fans just generally a little more on the reserved side. And two, we're, like, four hours into this show.
1: Like, I want you—think about all the times that you watched, like, a, even, like, a WrestleMania. But think about, like, a SummerSlam or Survivor Series. These, like, massive five-hour shows. And by the time you get to the main event, you're just so fucking tired. And, like, even if you were interested before, you don't really fucking care now. And imagine— that this is easily the match that are that these people are hottest about. They're so hot that they're doing that thing where like it's so loud just because twenty thousand people are all talking about what they're about to yeah. watch. That's cool.
0: So what does each man need to do to win this match?
1: Now they've wrestled with each other so many times at this so many times. Moment. So like a lot all of the matches are kind of built on the backs of each other. So in the past Tanahashi has always made a point of going after the arm to try to prevent the Rainmaker. And one of the reasons that he won in the previous year is that he kind of did something new where he went after the legs and Okada wasn't expecting it. Now, here, Tanahashi has to do something because Okada's just so fucking way more athletic than him. Yeah. But now Okada's got a plan. And Okada's plan is, I'm going to take away everything. I'm going to literally make it so this old fuck can't move. And that's that's very cool.
0: Yeah. They spend the first few minutes you know, working holds on the match, just kind of feeling each other out, which I feel like is the way their matches tended to go. This one is not as long as some of their other ones.
1: Yeah. And that, that's kind of what makes it special to me, too, is like these people, these two guys have wrestled so many times. They know exactly what each other is going to do. And we as fans know what they're going to do because we've watched them do it so many times. And yet they do it so well that it's almost fascinating to be like, oh, is he going to go for the tombstone here? Because if he goes for the tombstone, Tanahashi's going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and the blah,
0: blah, 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 blah. Uh, Tanahashi clips Okada's knee, goes to work on the knees. Striker speculates he's trying to weaken Okada's ability to hit the Rainmaker. It's really just going back to what worked the year before. Absolutely.
1: Of course, it was surprising the year before. It's not surprising yeah. anymore.
0: Tanahashi hits a crossbody, but Okada rolls through it, gets him up for the tombstone, but Tanahashi slips out. Okada hits a beautiful dropkick that sends Tanahashi out to the floor. For my money,
1: no one on Earth has ever hit a dropkick that nice. Not even Hardcore Holly.
0: <laughs> Hardcore Holly could beat both of these guys.
1: Oh, yeah, and he should. I'll beat both of them. Give me the belt. <laughs> the IW oh. whatever.
0: Okada knocks Tanahashi over the barricade. He charges, jumps over the barricade for a crossbody. I think that's a move, Okada, or that's a move Tanahashi had used on Okada in the past, right? Exactly. Yes.
1: Like um Tanahashi had often used the fact that Okada wasn't super comfortable outside the ring against him because that's not really Okada's deal. And like, Okada coming after him here really showed a different side of him.
0: Okada drags him back into the ring when he could easily just take the win by count out. He doesn't want, he's not going to win that way. That doesn't count. Oh, that, that would do nothing for him. Yeah. Like he can, uh, like he could just retain the title on the count out here, but no, (laughs) he needs to beat Tanahashi. He needs to pin him or tap him out. Like he couldn't even win with the roll up. Like that wouldn't be enough. (laughs) Has to be definitive. Yeah. Tanahashi knocks Okada off the top rope, but he misses a flipping senton. Okada goes for a senton, but he misses. Tanahashi follows up with a dragon screw, and then another one. He is just wrecking Okada's knees at this point. Which is funny, because
1: nobody else had really tried that with Okada before, and it's kind of weird, because Okada's like... He's easily, all but legs!
0: He's, he's the tallest guy forward. on this
1: roster, yeah. Go yeah, after
0: the fucking knees! He's six inches taller than everybody else on the roster. Yeah, you really should be going after those. <laughs> Okada bails out to the floor... Tanahashi goes to the top, but he gets cut off. Tanahashi hits a dragon screw where he drops him down, like, onto the turnbuckle. And then another dragon screw in the ropes. This is some of the nastiest legwork I've
1: ever seen. Yeah.
0: This is like Ric Flair circa 1985.
1: And it's just a testament to the fact that he's so cool and collected. He's just, like, going to pick him apart. I don't, like, he's just so relaxed in this moment.
0: Okada with a sling blade on the apron. Or Tanahashi hits the sling or no, that yeah, Tanahashi with the sling blade on the apron, and then the high fly flow out to the floor. Okada seemingly tries to take the count out win here. He wouldn't win the title, but it would be humiliating for Okada. I don't, I I this is kind of a weird spot. 'Cause it's not clearly explained exactly
1: what he's trying to do here. Yeah. I think he's just trying to get into Okada's head a little bit and kind of throw him off because Okada know like if Tanahashi just walked away, that would ruin Okada's life. Yeah.
0: And like Even could. though he was still the champion, he'd probably forfeit the title in disgrace. Mm-hmm.
1: And so like Okada
0: kinda of loses his shit
1: when he sees Tanahashi doing it.
0: He rolls back in the ring. Tanahashi's ready with the high fly flow to his legs. Oof. And then a Texas clover leaf, but Okada manages to make the ropes. This is
1: really the beginning of Tanahashi like rolling out the Texas clover leaf. Yeah. What a great fucking finisher if you're going for the legs, man. I love the clover leaf. To pull out like the fucking Dean Malenko special.
0: Okada hits a neck breaker onto his knee, which of course hurts his injured knee. Oh yeah. Uh, they exchange shots until Okada hits a drop kick and then two more drop kicks. Again, more pain to his knees, but it's what he needed at this point in the match. Absolutely. Um, a springboard drop kick from Okada, which is just dr- jaw dropping to see a guy his size do that. Not a lot of people remember that the fact, like he's like six six. But, like, he
1: trained in Torimon. He trained with luchadors. Like, that's his background. It's so nuts.
0: Okada with a slam, and he breaks out a flying elbow?
1: Hell okay. yeah. He pulled this out, like, once in a goddamn
0: <laughs> blue moon. <laughs> he signals for the Rainmaker. The camera goes wide. He swings for the fences, but Tanahashi ducks okada gets him up for the tombstone tanahashi rolls him into a victory roll for a very close two count just agonizingly close i thought that was it when i watched oh it live i really thought it was what if because a
1: lot of people were like i was talking thought about Okada that. was leaving like right? and like even if he's not like they swerved us last year what if okada loses like, what does that character even Where could do? He go?
0: Where could he go? Yeah, but would he but go how join interesting. the Bullet Club? Like, who knows?
1: But how interesting would that be, too? To, like, yeah. maybe this is just a permanent part of his character, that he's the greatest except.
0: But he never beat Tanahashi. Exactly. Um, Tanahashi hits another dragon screw Uh, Okada goes for a drop kick, but Tanahashi blocks it and locks in the cloverleaf. Okada once again manages to get to the ropes. Tanahashi hits a sling blade. He goes to the top, but he misses the high fly flow. Okada tries for the tombstone. Tanahashi gets out and hits a a neckbreaker. Okada rolls through and hits a tombstone. He signals for the rainmaker. This time he hits... He gets one, two. Tanahashi kicks out. What if, what if he just can't beat him? Like, and you what get if? that,
1: you get that look in his eyes, that one that like yeah. John Cena is so good at doing, where he's just like, what, what, I what the? Do? F- I don't have anything else to do yeah. to this guy.
0: Like that was my move. I hit him. Everybody goes down to that, and he and got it's,
1: out. It's been so many years that everybody, even Tanahashi goes down to the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker is the move in Japanese wrestling. But now it's not.
0: Oof. <laughs> Okada goes up to the top. He hits the high fly flow on Tanahashi.
1: That is one of my favorite spots in wrestling history. Because, like, oh my god. He climbs up to the top, and it occurs to us that like he's never done any top rope move ever in his entire career that is not that one elbow drop yeah. he does. What the fuck is he even doing up here? And then he he pulls off a perfect frog splash. It's not even fair. Because he's just the reincarnation of Eddie Guerrero somehow.
0: Not even fair that this guy can be that athletic. This guy could do anything he wanted, man. (laughs) Tanahashi kicks out. Oh, What's it going to take? It's just breaking his heart, man. Go back to what brought you. Go back to the Rainmaker. But Tanahashi ducks it, and he hits his own Rainmaker. He's
1: the fucking Rainmaker!
0: Okada kicks out, but he is very much on the defensive at this point. Like, he's fired everything he's got, and he can't put him down. And
1: it takes so much to actually hit Tanahashi with the Rainmaker. Because even though that's his move, Tanahashi's already formulated like 50 counters to it throughout all the course of all their matches.
0: Now, he hasn't hit the Tombstone and then the Rainmaker. That's that's the thing. Hasn't gotten them in the order yet. But
1: it's just so hard to hit multiple strings of moves on Tanahashi because he counters everything.
0: Tanahashi goes back to the legs, but Okada gets him up for a tombstone. Tanahashi slips out again, hits a sling blade and a dragon suplex for two. At this point, I
1: had completely come to the conclusion that Tanahashi was winning this match. Because, and this is the genius thing they do, this is exactly how Tanahashi always won all of his big matches. You'd think that he had lost, he'd start firing up, he'd hit a dragon screw, uh, he'd hit the dragon suplex... He'd probably get hit with one more big move and then he'd counter something into the high fly flow and it was over. Like the the pattern was that was like his five moves of doom. And they, they had just triggered it. And it's like, oh, my God, it's happening.
0: Tanahashi to the top. He goes for the high fly flow. He hits. And he immediately scrambles back up, runs back up to the top rope. He hits it again. He's got nope. him.
1: No one has ever kicked out of the multiple high fly flow.
0: Oh, my God. But Okada kicks out it oh two. Oh, my God. What a, what a great champion. Holy shit. All right. Reset. They've both kicked out of each other's big moves. It is bad. What is going to happen next? Like, the crowd has lost their minds. And, I mean, I don't know, how much in New Japan in this era, how much of a culture is there of kicking out of finishers in big matches? I mean, there is one. It's not like this thing where, like,
1: you're going to kick out of 45 attitude adjustments or anything yeah. like that. Like, Do
0: they save it for Wrestle Kingdom?
1: Largely, yes. Yeah. Like, the established thing in New Japan is that you're going to have to string together a couple big moves in a yeah. row in order to win on the big stage. But at the same time, and there's basically no established history of, like, stealing each other's finishers. That's fresh as fuck. These two have never done that.
0: I Tanahashi did use the Rainmaker the year before, but That's I don't think true. he hit it. I think Okada ducked it. Yeah, he went
1: for it, but he didn't
0: hit it. And they even did the camera pan out. <laughs> um, okay, Tanahashi goes back to the top. You know, just go back to it again. Okada catches him out of the air with a drop kick. Another drop kick. Okada signals for the Rainmaker. Tanahashi ducks it. Okada hits a German suplex. He tries for a Rainmaker, but Tanahashi slaps him. That, okay. (laughs) That's a big deal. Because that's not a thing
1: that Tanahashi had ever done in their feud before
0: it's a show of disrespect
1: yes and we're just in pure improv now like these aren't any of like the program counters that Tanahashi had come up with at this point he's just like fuck you
0: no and disrespect is like the worst thing you can do in Japanese wrestling
1: oh especially as part of this feud
0: yeah it's it's treating
1: Okada like a fucking child
0: Um, Tanahashi slapped him, but Okada held to the wrist, and I love the way they zoomed in on that. Yes, they want
1: you to see that, like, Tanahashi made a big mistake.
0: He still got him. Yeah, Tanahashi kind of lost his head and tried to insult Okada. Oh, boy. <laughs> Two Rainmakers, he doesn't let go of the wrist, he pulls him up, he hits a third <laughs> Rainmaker... That's got to be it, and it is. He gets the one, two, three. Okada has done it. He has finally exercised his demons. He has beaten Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. He is the ace of New Japan. It's a perfect
1: ending. It really, really is. As disaffected as both of these guys kind of were trying to be coming into this, At the end, they both get so intense and it becomes so personal. And it clearly means so much to both of them. And then Tanahashi loses his head and it's Okada in that moment who's cool-headed and perfect. And that last Rainmaker he hits where Tanahashi just like crumples like all the bones in his body have turned to dust is so beautiful.
0: I mean, Okada solidifies his legacy Hard to put over how much this means to his character. Like, the monkey's off his back. This was the one thing he hadn't done.
1: Is this, and I'm just going to ask you this flat out, we've covered
0: huge chunks
1: of wrestling history at this point. Yeah. Is this the cleanest torch passing in wrestling history?
0: It's up there. What about Hogan slamming Andre? I
1: mean, that. that's really, you know what, that's a good point. Though I'm not sure... I mean, Andre was a bigger star than Hogan, but I don't know that he was the guy for WWE in the same not by that,
0: Not by that point, yeah. Right. I think it is different. Um, I mean, this is a point
1: where these are the two biggest stars in Japan. They don't have to give it to Okada. Sanahashi could have had another five years on top, and he would have if Okada hadn't come along. Yeah,
0: this is about as clean as it gets. It's just...
1: This is the moment that John Cena— Did Tanahashi
0: ever hold the title again after this?
1: Yes, he did. He actually beat uh, Kenny Omega in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom and Omega's last Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Tanahashi's not done by any stretch of the imagination.
0: He's still in the company. He's just not as prominent anymore. Yeah,
1: he's a big, big star even to this day. To this day, he's still, like, the public face of the company. That's just what he is. It's just that he seeds the number one spot to Okada here. This is the moment that John Cena spent the last 10 years of his career looking for, begging (laughs) for. Every new guy that came along, he'd be like, hey, can I have this moment with them? Please? 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 I just want to pass the torch. Please let me pass the torch. Please, please, please. And he just never got to. Like, Can you imagine how much it would have meant to Cena to have a match like this with Roman Reigns and just pass it on to him?
0: I mean, he put Roman over so strong twice,
1: but... But it wasn't at WrestleMania.
0: No, no. And that's just, you know, WWE and time in is a funny thing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a three-year-long storyline no. where that was the whole point of the whole promotion.
0: Yeah, instead they shotgunned it into, like, a three-week feud both times.
1: Yeah. it just... Uh, I, my heart goes out to Cena on that because I guarantee you he would have said yes to doing it. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he desperately wanted to.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyway, yeah. Um, maybe I didn't catch it. It didn't seem like there was much of a post-match moment between them. No, Tanahashi just left. That's actually kind of the weird was,
1: crux of it, too, is like Tanahashi's always been very respectful and handshaky yeah. with other guys. He never really was with Okada. Yeah, when, Okada when Okada beat him, Tanahashi never stuck around.
0: It's like Bret Hart walking out on Shawn Michaels. It's actually kind of funny, because
1: later on, they would occasionally team up in what they called the Dream Team. Except that, like, they never really dealt with the fact they still openly hated each other. (laughs) They should. But, like, they were unbeatable as a team. Like, truly, unstoppably unbeatable. But they fucking hate each other.
0: Well, I guess a couple, like... Back in, like, wasn't it 2013, Okada beat Tanahashi, and, like, Tanahashi basically did a concession speech? Yes. Yeah. I don't know that we needed that here, but it feels like there should have been something here, because we were done. I mean, they wrestled again after this, but we were done with this was the end of the rivalry. Yeah, there's something to
1: the idea of Tanahashi just leaving and letting Okada have that moment on his own. But I kind of agree, it in my dream booking, Tanahashi would have shook his hand and then walked away. Yeah.
0: but I It doesn't guess. need to be an elaborate thing, but just a quick handshake and raising his arm in victory would have made sense to me here. In the press conference
1: later on, Tanahashi is, like, full of effusive praise about Okada. This is Okada's era now. He's the guy. He even goes so far as to say, like, I will not challenge Okada for the title again. Ever.
0: Yeah, we've heard that before. That's what he yeah. said the last time. <laughs> yeah. It also does
1: not continue on here. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, what an ending.
0: Yeah. Think Okada about all... does a post-match promo. Did he say anything of significance here? Not really. He he's the story. Rainmaker.
1: New Japan's mine. I'm the Rainmaker. Welcome to the Rainmaker era, blah, blah, blah.
0: He doesn't seem very likable. He's not. And yet, <laughs> and yet, yeah. he is absolutely beloved. Well, it's he looks like a male model is built like a Greek God and is freakishly athletic. So, you know, you understand how people are drawn to him.
1: There's kind of this thing too, in his interviews that are a little bit wink, wink where he's just like, yeah, I'm much better than everyone else. I'm way too good for all of this bullshit. New Japan should pay me extra because I'm so much better than everyone. I need to kind of do like a sly smile at the camera so that the fans know, like, I don't, you know, I actually
0: love it here. I love you guys. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: He's like an anime character come to life he really
1: is and that's why occasionally he'll come out with like a sword and a dinosaur or whatever
0: um so that wraps another amazing wrestle kingdom um i think the i think i liked the year before more but this was a very worthy follow-up the year before was man it- nine was special maybe, maybe this is the first be... one i ever saw I, I've honestly gone on record as saying before
1: that I think nine might be the greatest wrestling show ever. In history. There.
0: those last, I mean, those last two matches were both so incredible.
1: Yeah. That's definitely the best two matches ever on the same wrestling card, probably. And they're back to back on the same show. Yeah. But also like, it's just a bigger show. There's more heat on the big matches. Um, the the shock ending is just something yeah. that's so incredibly memorable. It was a bigger, it was a bigger crowd. This one didn't draw as well. It was the first one that really got the American yeah. audience involved. Like, there's just something unbelievably special about it. This one almost has like a little bit of bittersweetness to it. Like, this is the end of an era. Oh yeah, like a new era is about to begin, and it's like they're not gonna actually sink in quality for like another five years. But it's never going to be like this again. Okada Tanahashi is the greatest feud in wrestling history. Certainly the greatest in-ring feud, arguably the greatest feud all the way around. And it's over. You can't replicate that. Like, you can't fill that void. It just... And now half the people... On this show, I think I counted it up. 19 of the people that we just talked about on this show will no longer be with the company five years later. Yeah. It's wild how much of this they lose.
0: So, I mean, coming out of this, you would have thought, okay, they're headed into a rebuilding period. Like they are losing two of their biggest stars and they just blew off their biggest feud. They, it feels inevitable that they're going to fall off. And somehow the next year they draw like just basically the exact same size crowd. Like another, they draw 25,000 again And then the year after that, in 2018, they pack the place and have like 40,000 there. That is
1: also kind of directly attributable to they make two very smart decisions. The first is they build around Omega and they're not really sure it's going to work. But by the time you get to like May, the fan base has fallen in love with him in this like crazy way that eventually the fans are going to turn him babyface because they love him so fucking much against his will (laughs) because he's not a good babyface. And then the next year... Unlikable shithead. The next year, they build it all around the redemption. Naito versus Okada. They're going to do it right this time. This time, they're the people you wished they had been the last time. (laughs) That's fun.
0: So yeah, in... 2017, the year after this, Okada and Omega are going to have one of the great matches of all time. That was the match that Dave Meltzer gave six stars to. And like you can quibble with that, but it was an unbelievable, amazing match.
1: Absolutely. Like kind of changed the idea of what the main events in New Japan could be. Really brought them into a new era.
0: And then the year after that, Chris Jericho is going to shockingly jump to New Japan and enter a feud with Kenny Omega. Um, Kenny Omega is the Omega, Jericho is the Alpha. Um, I mean, this was kind of the best of both worlds because they had... In Okada and Naito, they had a match that would draw in Japan. And then in Omega versus Jericho, they had a match to draw the American fans.
1: Yeah, I believe they said at the time... That the most foreign people they'd ever had come to Wrestle Kingdom was that year, yeah. which I mean that makes sense. It's the biggest American match ever promoted in Japan. Yeah. They also hit on all these other smaller guys. Like they New Japan just keeps building stars out of nowhere in a in an era where like nobody else really builds any stars if you think about it until like AEW comes along. New Japan just builds like a new star every fucking year. From like Jay, Jay White comes out of nowhere. Will Ospreay comes out yeah. of nowhere. Like these guys who are like just like scrubs on the mid card, like become yeah. huge stars the next year.
0: Junior heavyweights, like B guys in the stables, become gigantic stars for our main event. In Kota
1: Ibushi emerges as this like incandescent figure. Yeah. I I just I I can't talk enough about how smart these shows are put together. Like, and and I do feel like the booking has fallen off, even though they've had
0: they've had the worst run of luck of any promotion I think I've ever seen. You're absolutely between the pandemic and like Japan being much stricter and taking it much more seriously, frankly, than America does. So they've had limited attendance for years, for, you know, what, going on two years now? And just this horrible run of injuries they've had, and guys getting COVID at the wrong time.
1: I'm not sure any Booker has ever, like, gone more than 10 years without kind of losing their fastball. Because at a certain point, you've used all your best ideas, right? Like, eventually that's just kind of going to happen, and things are going to get a little stale. But even so, they just, they meticulously build stars and they do it in such a way that every time wrestle kingdom comes around even this this bullshit horrible cursed year that sucks produced a wrestle kingdom that i'm so excited to see that i'm literally dodging all of your texts and all of your tweets and all of your (laughs) your facebook messages for three days so that i don't have it spoiled for me Even now, I'm literally on the Wikipedia page for Wrestle Kingdom 12, and I'm so scared I'm accidentally going to click onto the Wikipedia page for this year <laughs> and see what happened.
0: Oh man! So that is a wrap for Wrestle Kingdom 10. Um, love covering these. I'm sure we'll do more of them eventually. It's
1: just such um, a palate cleanser. Like yeah. after like a couple months, we do months. so many
0: garbage shows. These horrible star yeah,
1: every year you make me run through all of these garbage-ass starcades, and my reward at the end is it's like the tasty,
0: Kingdom. the tasty
1: king, candy of Wrestle Kingdom. The one week you give me before we plunge headlong into
0: garbage WWE. <laughs> It's rumble season. We haven't done a WWE show in forever. Yeah.
1: Like, since October. We really just kind of became a WCW podcast for a while. We
0: do that every November November and December belong. Oh, we did uh we did the Survi- we did a call, we did the Survivor series back in September or uh November. So we did a couple of them there back oh, before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to Christmas. Yeah. That belongs that's, to start. It's WCW time, it's just what I associate with that. Absolutely. In January it's to rumble March? season
1: that's wba season baby yeah.
0: yeah the rumble and the road to wrestlemania so we are going to go back to the hogan era because it's been a very long time since we've done anything from there with uh, the 1990 royal rumble this may have the worst undercard of any pay-per-view i've ever seen <laughs> oh run us through it a little bit steve because it is hilarious uh, the bushwhackers are heavily involved oh boy uh, yeah, what do we got? We got the Bushwhackers versus um uh the Bushwhackers versus the Fabulous Rougeos. Cool. Brutus Beefcake versus the Genius. Oh good. Ronnie Garvin versus Greg the Hammer Valentine in a 17-minute submission match. 17
1: minutes for oh, Ronnie Ron Garvin? Garvin?
0: That might be longer than his match with Flair at Starcade. I hope it's better, because I doubt it. <laughs> and Jim Duggan versus The Big Boss Man. This might
1: be the worst work rate show we've ever covered, ever. I, oh boy. Luckily,
0: it's topped cool. off by the first great Royal Rumble.
1: Yes. I'm very excited to talk about this one.
0: Yeah. This is the first time. This is when it feels like they get into their groove of like getting it at the Royal Rumble. Uh, the <laughs> other thing I love about this show is Tony Schiavone's on commentary. Ooh, this is the Schiavone one? Yeah. Yeah. This is his one run. It's, he called this and he called SummerSlam. I think those, those were his only two pay-per-views.
1: That's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. This is also, I believe, one of the two Royal Rumbles that Hulk Hogan wrestles as a heel for some reason. Just literally as a heel. (laughs) Just fucking over people left and right.
0: So yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on The Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.